Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. All views of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the 3rd of September, you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm James Barry. And coming up on today's show, James. We have Firas Naji, uh, an Iraqi scholar and specialist on the Middle East and Iraq in particular, who will be telling us about what's been happening in Baghdad this week uh, with the, the violence and the inter-Shia violence uh, in the city. Very, very dramatic um, footage uh, coming out of Iraq at the moment. So um, stay tuned, listeners, for that feature interview in the second part of today's show. But of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. I do give those um, web details or digital details out at the start of every show. And for those of you that have, in fact, followed it up, you'll see that AAWL's website has been broken for quite some time, and I still give out those details. But I do want you to know, for those of you who follow the organisation, um, today our members and committee of management are having a planning day to map out a new website, so it won't be an entirely redundant exercise every morning on Asia Pacific Currents of me giving out those details. So just to give you an organisational update. It's two minutes past nine o'clock. We're going to go straight to news from around the region. Beginning in Sri Lanka, where terror laws are being used to detain anti-government protesters. In the past month, as the protest movement against the failures of the regime in Sri Lanka have fallen out of the attention of the international media, the Sri Lankan government, under President Ranul Wickremesinghe, has been using the country's anti-terrorism laws to intern anti-government protesters. On August 18, for example, security personnel used batons and tear gas to attack a peaceful march by the Inter-University Students' Federation, arresting 21 student leaders and holding three in detention without charge. The United Nations and Amnesty International complaints uh, about this issue have been brushed off by the Sri Lankan government, who have have evoked the Prevention of Terrorism Act, which was previously used mostly to suppress Tamil dissidents, to justify these internments. Uh, Wick Ramasinghe was rumoured and is now confirmed he was planning to bring back former president Gotabaya Rajapaksa, who had fled the country earlier this year after his policies had led to the collapse of the economy. Uh, and yes, uh, we have confirmation this morning he has in fact actually returned. And in Australia, the Attorney-General has drops, dropped deportation of Indigenous non-citizens, a really significant development that kind of flew a bit under the radar in the mainstream press. On the 28th of July, Australian Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus formally dropped a bid by the previous government to overturn a High Court ruling that people with Indigenous Australian heritage could not be deported as non-citizens. The case arose when a number of people with Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander ancestry were due to be deported following criminal convictions on the grounds that they did not have Australian citizenship. 
Most of these men were either born overseas to at least one Australian Indigenous parent or had been raised between Australian and Papuan-controlled areas of the Torres Strait. The High Court ruled in 2020 that Indigenous Australians cannot be non-citizens, but in 2021, the Morrison government, well, specifically Peter Dutton, the um, Minister for Home Affairs, sought to overturn the ruling a process that the Albanese government has ended, and in fact the minister responsible for that was Andrew Giles, the current Minister for Immigration, um, who withdrew that case in the High Court in order to prevent a really terrible precedent being um, set. So it is still a, a, well, arguably a constitutional principle that you cannot deport Aboriginal people. Continuing with another story from Australia, Australian workers this week marked Equal Pay Day. On August 29, Australian workers marked Equal Pay Day, an event that brings attention to the major gap in earnings between men and women in the country. August 29 marks 60 days since the financial new year, which refers to the number of extra days women have to work to receive the same pay as men. This pay gap continues to grow and has continued to grow in the past year. The number of extra days for women to work in 2022 is now 61. On average in Australia, a woman working full-time earns $253 per week less than her male counterparts, a national pay gap of 14.1%, which has risen from 13.8% from the last financial year. Although wage discrimination against women has been illegal since 1969, the pay gap continues to grow unabated. And in Israel, Israel is forcefully shutting down seven Palestinian NGOs. On the 18th of August, Israeli authorities raided the offices of seven Palestinian NGOs based in Ramallah, removing their records and computers and welding the doors shut. The NGOs mostly provided legal support to Palestinian prisoners, support Palestinian farmers with access to water resources, provide support to Palestinian workers' health care. Six of the seven NGOs had recently been criminalised by Israel for alleged links to the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, the PLO. Is that right? That's no, it's a different group. Different one. Um, while the seventh, a health organisation that runs two hospitals in the occupied West Bank, had been subject to arbitrary closures of their clinics in the past. Representatives from the NGOs stated they were targeted for the support they give to Palestinian society and for documenting human rights abuses. Uh, this week, on August 30, the victims of forced disappearance, disappearances were remembered across Asia, with the International Day of Victims of Enforced Disappearances being marked. In Nepal, victims' organisations appealed for the whereabouts of more than 3,000 people who disappeared during the 1996-2006 to 2006 conflict. Nepal's Ministry for Law, Justice and Parliamentary Affairs had aimed to legislate for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which should reveal, about, real, reveal the whereabouts of at least some of the victims, but the legislation has not successfully passed through Parliament. In Bangladesh, the Asian Legal Resource Centre reiterated the calls, their calls for an independent investigative mechanism to deal with the creation of secret prisons and the perpetration of extrajudicial killings by the military. And our last story for this morning is in Cambodia. Cambodia's first brick kiln workers' unions being created. Workers in Cambodia made history on Wednesday when they voted to form the first brick kiln workers' unions. Four unions were formed under the Building and Woodworkers Trade Union Federation of Cambodia 
reflecting the workforce with women making up 75% of leadership positions. And for those of you who have been following our stories about unionism in Cambodia, you'll know that that is quite a significant uh, leadership uh, statistic. According to the union, the biggest challenges facing workers in the brick kiln industry are child labour and debt bondage. That is news from around the region. We're going to go to some community announcements and then our feature interview with Viras this morning uh, regarding the current situation in, uh, in Iraq. The Seoul Masni Centre for Performing Arts and Monica Singh Sangman present a year-long season of solo and group Odyssey dance performances on Saturday, September 17th and 24th at Dance House and October 1st at Fairfield Amphitheatre. All shows will be accompanied by our live Odyssey music ensemble. Odyssey is an Indian classical dance style that is both traditional and contemporary in its intrinsic nature. Join us for what can only be described as a pilgrimage where the dancer and musicians merge together as co-performers. Tickets available via our website, sohamasmi.org. This project has been financially supported by Regional Arts Victoria and Creative Victoria. We also acknowledge Dance House, Multicultural Arts Victoria and 3CR Community Radio as supporters in this endeavour. The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. Kelly Santon performing Sax for Art Express on 3CR Melbourne who support women in jazz. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents on Community Radio 3CR. It is currently 10 past nine. Uh, this week, unrest and the threat of civil war has occurred in Iraq, with more than 30 people killed during protests between uh, supporters of the Sado movement and members of the government and other groups within Iraq. Joining us to explain the situation is Firas Naji. Firas is a scholar specialising in Iraqi and Middle Eastern affairs. Welcome, Firas. Uh, Welcome, James. Thank you. So before we talk about the events of this week, can you tell us how we got here about last year's election, what Muqtada Asada, the movement was aiming for the Iraqi parliament, and why they withdrew their elected members? Uh, Sure. We need to look at the the current events from two perspectives, I guess. Uh, So on the surface, the conflict is basically between Shia Islamist factions, all from within the regime. There's the al-Sadr movement, with a populist leader and strong popular base, especially at lower economic uh, base. He has one leg in government and another in the protest movement. Al-Sadr wants to change the way Iraq was ruled since 2003. 
since then, Iraq was ruled based on what we call consociational democracy, which is a power-sharing arrangement uh, between all parties to divide political power and state revenues and make decisions by consensus. However, this uh, system failed miserably and resulted in massive corruption, lack of services, and ended in uh, state collapse when ISIS invaded uh, and controlled one-third of the country in 2014. So al-Sadr wants to have a new system, which is a majority rule system, so he can form effective government and deliver on his promises to his people. On the other side, there's the uh, rest of the Islamist groups, which they call themselves the coordination framework, who oppose uh, Sadr's agenda and wants to maintain the status quo. In the early elections in October 2021, Sadr was the uh, main winner. He won 73 out of, 29, uh, out of 329 seats, which is big in Iraqi context. And he managed to form a majority coalition with his uh, Sunni and Kurdish partners. But the his Shia opponents, they uh, put all sorts of obstacles trying to stop him from this, which included threatening his uh, partners, uh, hitting them with missiles, uh, uh, protests. Uh, and eventually they managed to influence the high court which uh, came with a resolution to change the rules of uh, electing president. So initially, electing a president required uh, absolute majority. With a new rule, uh, that required two-thirds uh, attendance, uh, which the al-Sadr and his partners failed to achieve. So that ended up to uh, uh, stopping the parliament and paralyzing the whole process, political process. Now, rightly or wrongly, al-Sadr thought he can better attack his opponents uh, and put more pressure on them if he uh, leaves parliament and uh, go to the street with, uh, through protest. And that's why he uh, ordered his MPs to resign from parliament. Now, this is on the surface, as I say. There's a, a more deeper perspective, uh, which is practically created this whole crisis, because Iraq is currently going through a transition process, which was marked by the uh, 2019 protest, uh, which resulted in resignation, first ever resignation of a sitting government, and this early uh, 2021 20, uh, uh, election. And also it put pressure on al-Sadr to take his political reform uh, more seriously. So there is a decline in the Islamist ideology and a progression of uh, civil movement. This is the kind of the context of the current event. Thank you for us. And uh, moving on from that, can you talk about the events of this week? What prompted Muqtada Sadr to make his statement that he was withdrawing from politics? Was this meant to rally his supporters? And what caused Sadr to tell his supporters to go home? This is a bit more complex. <laughs> Now, al-Sadr stems his authority, uh, which is a mixed religious and political, from his uh, late father, uh, Muhammad Sadr al-Sadr, who is a renowned Shia scholar during Saddam, killed by Saddam. He's so-called a merger. A merger is kind of like a a reference point, a religious reference point where all Shias should have a merger, 
and, and that they are a merger themselves or Ayatollah. So when his father died, he has to follow a living merger, uh, who was the Ayatollah Kazim al-Hairi, because his father uh, advised his followers and him to follow al-Hairi if he dies. Now, the relationship between al-Sadr, uh, Muqtada al-Sadr, and al-Hairi, his merger, wasn't great, but it was a working relationship. So uh, al-Hairi gave uh, Muqtada al-Sadr some sort of a, a cover, a guide, a religious guide of authority. Now, suddenly at the height of the current crisis, when his uh, al-Sadr followers were occupying the parliament, Qadim uh, al-Hairi, the merger, uh, suddenly retired and asked his followers, uh, presumed, presumably the Fadris, to follow uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, the, the Iranian supreme leader. Uh, he also attacked al-Sadr, uh, that his policies were divisive, and also advised him not to lead people using his family's name. So uh, taken uh, you know, by surprise, uh, but also, he had to uh, reluctantly withdraw from politics, Al-Sadr, because he has to follow his merger advice. So uh, that kind of escalated the scene, uh, and this was considered by his followers as like some sort of a dirty conspiracy by Iran and the, their followers. And the angry mob uh, or protesters you know, who were in the parliament, they attacked the uh, presidential palace and occupied it. Now, during these events, uh, some Sadrist uh, protesters, they were killed, allegedly by pro-Iranian militias. So that all led to escalation of violence, uh, and and, and uh, al-Sadr's own militia, they entered the green zone, and, and basically a, a full-on war happened for 24 hours, where different factions of al-Hashid, or the People's Mobilization Forces, they were attacking each other at the heart of the Green Zone, uh, while the Iraqi security forces were playing peacekeepers. You know? So that's what happened. And this is where uh, al-Sadr intervened and called, called on his followers to withdraw and end all protests and, and violence. Um, continuing with the topic of Marjayat or the Marjayat Taqlid in Shia Islam, it was significant that Grand Ayatollah Ha'iri, uh, he, he directed his followers to go to Iranian leader Ayatollah Khamenei, who in many ways is a political enemy of Muqtada al-Sadr. Do you have any comments about why that was, considering it was a, such an unexpected move? Yeah, well... well there are like the, the, most of the people, like especially the Sadrists, you know, that they uh, consider this, as I said, it's like uh, some sort of a conspiracy. Even Al Sadr hinted in his uh, uh, speech, uh, withdrawal speech, that this was under uh, uh, Iranian influence. So Al Ha'ari did not act this on on his own, but rather by uh, Iranian uh, influence. And as you mentioned, <laughs> it's a, a complete change of uh, direction, uh, because the Al-Sadrists, uh, in general, they have a strong anti-Iranian sentiment. Uh, and, and to ask them to follow, the uh, as a religious leader, the uh, supreme uh, leader of the Iranian revolution, you know, like it's, uh, it's some sort of an insult. So, 
so yeah, so it's, it's really interference between politics and religion to, to the max. Yes, and uh, just for listeners to understand, the Iranian leader follows a political system where, uh, which is quite different, where clerics, their role in, in politics is a little bit different to other streams of Shia political thinking. Uh, but um, it's, it's very specific to everyone, more or less has to follow the Iranian leader, whether they're an Iranian national or not. Um, just moving on a little bit, Firas, the living situation in Iraq has de- been deteriorating slowly over time, with the government only able to supply up to four hours of electricity in major cities, despite Iraq's vast resources. Do you see the current political arrangement as able to sustain itself in the short to medium term? Uh, not at all. Like The legitimacy of the Iraqi regime was severely uh, compromised uh, in the eyes of most Iraqis since the state failed, uh, failed against ISIS in 2014. And since then, the protests increased, became more violent, and, and uh, a massive uh, 2019 youth protest happened, and it was uh, the most effective in exposing the thin legit- legitimacy of the current regime. So, uh, also, uh, Ali Alawi is the uh, resigned Minister of Finance, just recently described the state bureaucracy as zombies that keep performing after their death. So, uh, now, with all what's happen- uh, happening, the stalled political process for nearly a year, an unfunctioning parliament, uh, and tainted ju- judiciary, you know, corrupted government, so it's all uh, re- uh, not quite a recipe for a stable or sustainable situation. And finally, some commentators have been talking about the risk of an intra-sectarian civil war amongst the Shia political movements in Iraq. Do you think that this is an accurate ex- assessment? Well, as I explained, there is currently, we're seeing the, the, the beginning of clashes between Shia factions, but um, which, which might escalate and definitely escalate, uh, could escalate and, and became uh, more worsened. But I don't think it's the sort of civil war like as we know it, like if you take, for example, the Kurdish civil war in 1990s, where the two Kurdish factions uh, lasted uh, warring each other for years. Uh, and I, I think this is mainly because the pro-Iranian militias, they don't have, uh, like, real popular support and they can withhold territory. And also, as I mentioned, because sectarianism uh, is on the decline. Uh, so I believe in Iraq there are more people interested in, in, in a united Iraq than to those who are interested in, in a divided world. Viras, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been most informative. Um, we're going to move on now to some community announcements uh, and then come back. But again, thank you, Viras, for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jay. That was Vera speaking about the current situation in Iraq with the uh, current um, political uprisings and activity on the ground there. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. 
3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. That's right. We did ask you to show your support for us in June 2022. But if you did pledge something and you haven't paid, that was information about how to pay. 3CR is still accepting your donations. Radiothon for us doesn't finish when that those two weeks in June are over. We keep raising money and we know that you listeners are also under the pressure of the cost of living um, rises and so on. So any little bit does help us. It is 24 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Um, I'm going to go now to a track and this is to really um, honour, uh, well, no, I'll just, I'll just go to, to the track. This is uh, Kutcher Edwards with Eternity. When I'm close to you There is no better place Hold you in my arms To see the smile on your face To whisper in your ear Tell you everything's When we lay it together, gaze into the night, run nowhere I would rather be. I need you here close to me But I would wait for you For eternity When we're not together I cannot touch you I know not what I do For our love is forever It was meant to Not stop the wanting it is our destiny I know where I would rather be I need 
Eternity by Kutcher Edwards and that does bring us to the end of Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered but that's it for me Giselle Hannah. And me James Barry.